It's late December in Alaska, and the sun's about to set for the final time this year. A host of strange events precede the sun's dipping below the horizon, including strange animal behavior, possible water contamination, and eight scientists working at an Arctic research station disappear from their posts. They're later found by a local one frozen, who is led to their dead bodies by a man named Travis, who is also deceased. Working the case is Liz Danvers, a local cop with a complex web of relationships to the officers working in her department. Joining her is Evangeline Navarro, who used to work on the same force but was transferred to another branch of police work because she could not let go the disappearance of a native woman six years ago. There's an apparent connection between the murdered woman and the eight scientists. Both cases involved an indigenous woman missing her tongue. From the dusty mesa, Welcome to The World We Deserve, the officially unofficial podcast for True Detective on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 4, Episode 1, Night of Night Country. And I guess it's called Night Country Part 1. At least it was Sunday night when I watched it. Um, We'll see if they go back and retroactively change those titles. But uh, we're here to talk about the episode at length. Where do you want to start off with this conversation? Um... I guess, what did we think? True Detective is back on the air. Uh, I quite liked it. I thought uh, this felt like a True Detective episode to me, um, both in quality and content, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. This new setting is unsettling, which I like. Um, I I will say it does feel slightly different from True Detective in some ways. Uh, It feels much more like horror-based, perhaps even more supernatural at, at least up front it's 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 preloading a lot of its supernatural stuff because there was definitely supernatural hints in the first season third season second season all of that stuff uh mm-hmm. but this is a little more front and center here um but that didn't put me off i i think i'm enjoying it so far yeah i mean to me that's what defines the true detective kind of feel is um a solid you know solid police work combined with a little scooby-doo you gotta have a weird cult that's worshiping some eldritch god you gotta have guys walking around in animal masks murdering people you gotta have ghosts from uh war haunting uh, a person at night while they're losing their mind uh you, you have to have that kind of lovecraftian quality and i felt like this definitely shone through um Especially it's just like, and I don't even know if I, I need it to be a true detective. I was listening to the official podcast and Issa Lopez mentioned that she, it's not like HBO is like, hey, uh, we need a new true detective. What do you got for us? It was more like she brought this project called Night Detective to HBO Max. And they're like, oh, we actually like that. Would you be willing to produce it under the true detective you know, banner as just like a marketing thing? You know, like it's 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 like when they slap. Mm hmm mustang on a new car you know it's it's not literally the same thing that uh uh that that uh, well, what's his face is driving in in bullet you know uh steve mcqueen so that's yeah. literally the same car right it's just kind of a spiritual association with the, mm-hmm. with the brand so for that it's like yeah it's kind of amazing it fits the the uh, the, the project so well and i i know she definitely went through and and punched it up and and put uh, some of those connections more of a true detective-ish connections into it once she got that project so yeah i uh i, I love it's such a contrast to the previous works although 
also true detective covered a lot of ground you know um oh yeah season one was nothing like season two which was nothing like season three so mm-hmm. is this a more you know i've seen one episode is this a more extreme departure just because it's set in alaska it's got snow for the first time i i i, I don't know but i thought it felt like of a piece too yeah for sure all right, well, let's maybe talk about what we know of the investigation so far, some of the facts on the ground, um, maybe how they're potentially connected, do a little theorizing because that stuff is always fun. Uh, and boy, there's a lot of theorizing happening out there on the internet. The psychosphere is getting real stinky. Yeah. Uh, it's do about you as wanna... stinky as those clothes in the washer. I'd maybe lead with one that I thought was the most interesting because we were asking about like these possible connections to season one of True Detective and, and on the instant uh, take portions, we were talking about the Lone Star beer can and I'm sure mm-hmm. there'll be others, right? But uh, a lot of people noticed that um, Russ Cole in season one, I believe episode four, mentions that his father is from Alaska and his name is Travis. Yep. And here we have a person who's been dead for I don't know how many years. But I don't think he died last week from everyone's reaction to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Passing resemblance to Matthew McConaughey's kind of long, stringy hair version of of the Russ Cole character. Um, And uh, he's he's communicating with this woman, Rose. What do you make of this? Uh, So I kind of like it just as a tie in. I don't I don't know that they need to be like super explicit about it. But if you just want to drop a hint like that, let people theorize about it, I think that's cool. Um, it'll be interesting if they try and make that connection explicit, though, because that it just seems unnecessary to me. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't. I like I said that maybe the hint of it is enough. Because um, the other thing that people pointed out is, I guess, in the final episode of True Detective season one, when you know. Uh, Russ and Marty are reflecting over their experiences in Carcosa um, and Russ had you know got stabbed at that near death experience he said that he felt like his father his father's presence hmm. which would kind of mean it's not the first time that he's manifested to someone alive I, I don't know I think it's it's, it's super interesting to think about uh, the other connections that uh, I saw were the spirals you pointed out. You know, Jodie Foster sitting in the middle of a Carcosa Yellow King spiral yeah. of evidence. Um, there's spirals. Like I noticed when um, uh, Officer Navarro is uh, is uh, aggressively fucking the dude. There is a lot of spirals on his uh, the, the, the bed sheets like uh, the oh, pillows that are behind yeah, his yeah. head and all that stuff, kind of very geometric, triangular, mm-hmm. more indigenous-looking spirals, but spirals nonetheless. And, uh, you know, a lot of the the animal imagery, animal skins, antlers, mm-hmm. bones, skulls, uh, especially in the, the, the credit sequence, I thought those are illusions maybe the first season of True Detective. But I don't know, maybe we'll see yeah. more. And maybe the almost, uh, I guess, posed sort of nature of the victim's in this uh you know at the very end of the episode we see them sort of frozen in the ice and and you know in the first season you find the woman tied to the tree and she's got the spiral on her it's there's something evocative there i think a performance um some people said that the uh uh, i keep on wanting to call him kevin but it's not it's uh, travis 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 the travis character when he's appearing to rose is doing this kind of interpretive dance yeah 
and that this was like pantomiming the positions of the dead people or maybe reenacting their death. Uh, I don't. Okay. I, I don't okay. know that we can confidently state that just from a couple seconds of dead dead bodies frozen in some kind of shock and horror. Yeah, but on the other hand, I want to contextualize it because that was maybe the thing that took me out of this episode the most is that weird interpretive dance. dance. Yeah, I I don't know. Not a huge fan of that, but also it didn't ruin the episode for me or anything. I don't I don't care that much. But I, I do want to know why this ghost decides to dance. So there's there's three central kind of investigations, mysteries, interconnected, weird things happening here. Uh, the the disappearances at the the Saul Lal station, uh, the Ann K disappearance slash murder from six years ago, and then uh, a, a, a Travis appearing to Rose. You're listening to the World We Deserve. We'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're back with more of the world we deserve. Uh, let's mm-hmm. start off with the Salal Salal station. Um, I mentioned on Instant Podcast that that uh, is a Hebrew word for to be or to grow black. Hmm. And I also mentioned it was the name of an island in an Edgar Allan Poe novel, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. Did you look at it to see any of this stuff? This is the most true detective thing that's that's ever happened right uh this is the the season in a nutshell so edgar Allan poe wrote this book called the narrative of arthur gordon pym of nantucket and jules verne decided that he was just going to write the sequel to this thing and an an, yeah i I, I, not even a spiritual sequel just like nope this is the continuation of the the tale and you call it an antarctic mystery um, and he tells the tale of these people looking for this island of Salal, uh, where Arthur Gordon Pym was was supposed to have, I guess, disappeared. I don't know. I went and I read the chapter that that is that that deals with their uh, discovery of the island. And apparently, when they arrive at this island, they're the people, the animals, everything that was described by Pym's diary is nowhere to be found. Yeah. Um. They they can't they can't find any of them and then they're um they they apparently find the remains of some people and they find perhaps uh you know the captain's or uh, Pim's dog's collar that tell them okay he was here um and they speculate that they were killed by perhaps a, a natural event um in that chapter they say it was a, perhaps an earthquake destroyed the island and killed the inhabitants but it was weird because the earthquake seems to have happened after the people were killed and the animals disappeared and all that and then later in the book I guess they sort of come to the conclusion 
uh, on their own, I, I think they're speculating, but they come to the idea that they might have been killed by some disease. So I, if you keep, I, I guess in subsequent chapters, once they leave the island of Salal, they pick up a magnetic disturbance and they follow it and they find this massive sphinx, sphinx made out of ice. Okay. That has an insanely huh. strong magnetic field and they find, I guess, the wreckage of Pym's boat around that and they surmise that this magnetic field is so strong it, it attracted the metal that was in the boat and in the men and it dashed them against it and destroyed them. And the reason they didn't die is because they used the native built boat that had no metal in it. Gotcha. So I thought that was interesting, especially when the natives of Salal Island are described as like jet black, like Vanta black. Uh, and not just like their skin, like their gums and their teeth are also black. There's like and and um, strange for an Antarctic people. They don't are familiar with the concept of white. The color white doesn't exist on this island. I thought that was kind of an interesting, like othering type of commentary, especially when you're talking about this is kind of missing indigenous you know, women. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a big theme of this. But yeah, yeah. that is um, some mysterious stuff. Uh, to to pin to, to to pin into a true detective backstory, and obviously you know it it kind of sets the stage with the disappearance of all these scientists, right? You arrive at Salal and it oops, it's empty. Uh, we thought yeah. we expected there to be something here. Yeah, and 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 uh, you can't talk about the Salal incident with talking about the um, what apparently was the last sunset. There's mm-hmm. uh, there's some sort of Inuit hunter that's out stalking some caribou. Um, they're at the precipice of a cliff where the sun's about to set and right as the sun starts dipping below the sky the caribou look like they're disturbed they're sniffing the air the, the hunter himself they they cut back to his POV and he flares his nostrils he smells something too and then as the sun sets the caribou all bellow and they run off the cliff into the direction of the setting sun mm-hmm. as almost whatever is coming in the darkness is too much for a living thing to bear uh, Which is interesting, uh, I guess, with the quote at the beginning of this that apparently is not a real quote. Uh, it's it's not quoting anybody. This is written by Isa, um, where where it says basically, you know, the 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 that you can't even imagine what the night can dream up in the hours where God is not even awake. Uh, I forget the exact wording, but yeah, for we do not know what beast the night dreams when its hours grow too long for even God to be awake. Yeah, so you can imagine whatever those beasts are are terrifying enough for these caribou to just end themselves. I know, uh, lemming style. I I, I kind of mm. want to start doing that, and whenever I have a sick quote that I want to attribute but not, make it seem extra smart, I just invent invent a uh-huh. really cool name and be like, yeah, that that person said it. So not this is me, not an invented not name myself. Oh, it's not? Is this an attributed quote to a real person? So the quote is fake. The name is real. Uh, This Hildred Castain guy uh, is apparently the narrator in one of the short stories um, from Robert Chambers' Yellow King book, um, or King in Yellow book. It's, It's from the story, The Repair of Reputations. He's the narrator. So it's tying it back to, you know, season one with the King in Yellow stuff. Um, sort of, huh? S- sort of directly, but like by proxy, by a, a quote that he never said because it's not in the short story at all. Hmm. Well, I heard Albert Einstein once said, "Bald move makes some sick ass podcasts." Those boys, <laughs> wicked smart. Yeah. 
So, you know, great man, great man. Who am I to argue with it? Um, and they, they mentioned that this is set. So this is in this Alaska. It's 350 miles north of the Arctic Circle. Uh, simultaneously, as these uh, caribou are running for their, their life, well, they're running to their death at the edge of the cliff at the Salal Research Station, just utter normal things are happening. They're settling into a Ferris Bueller marathon. Uh, they're popping mm-hmm. popcorn, analyzing old data. They're greeting each other cordially. There doesn't the, the biggest dispute. Maybe somebody has slightly put out that somebody's bringing a load of laundry too late the laundry day. But yeah. they're greeting each other cordially. They're working out. One guy's making a TikTok video about a sandwich in Spanish. And suddenly a guy named Clark is seized by seizures and whispers she's awake just as the power cuts. Oh, man. There's so much to dig into here. <laughs> it spans kind of the rest of the episode. Uh, I want to talk about the state of Clark in this scene because it's interesting. He's wearing the coat. He's wearing the coat. The coat, um, yep. Yeah, the one with the smiley face on the shoulder, the one potentially, I, I don't want to say for sure was Anne's, mm-hmm. Anne's coat, but I think, I mean, that's what the episode is trying to apply is that it, this is Anne's coat. Sure. Um, and that coat has snow on it. Fresh, like he's been recently outside. Snow. Yes. Um, that I find interesting. Why would he be yeah, outside? There is, and it's also maybe there's some kind of environmental exposure. We were joking about in Night Shemalines the happening, but it mm-hmm. kind of feels that way. That like these caribou smelt something. The hunter smelt something. I'm very interested to see what do we ever find that hunter like later on the season will we hear from him or did he follow them off the cliff uh this guy the only one that apparently was outside is the one that's affected um you know is there something uh other characters mentioned that the water has gone to shit in the last three days which Mm -hmm. directly connects to the sun disappearing yeah like if it you know i i if if you want to hang your hat on something empirical my guess would be radiation, uh, some kind of groundwater contamination, toxic some, gas, some, some kind. kind of, yeah, 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 something, something, something today, or a novel pathogen. Because the other thing we found about the Salal Institute is they're doing a lot of things. They're they're doing climate science, science looking at climate change, studying biodiversity and the lack thereof in Alaska wilderness, but. Uh, Peter, who's kind of like been given by Liz this this project to investigate them, like a book report, he concludes that what they're really looking for is the origins of life on planet Earth. And they're Mm -hmm. also drilling all these ice core samples. Although, can we note that this is a man who names his son Darwin, so (laughs) he might be biased. They're true, true. <laughs> there, there, it's an interesting narrative hook that we're talking about. Like, yeah, the, the uh-huh. origin of the species and the kid's name's Darwin. Uh, but they also have these ice core samples. And the other thing I thought is like, what if they have unwittingly unlocked some kind of ancient pathogen in, yeah. in the, this this ice drilling that they're doing? Because that's a real fear that I think scientists have is like as the permafrost de- mm-hmm. defrost due to climate change like there could be bacteria and viruses that have been locked away there for millions and millions of years that we might have lost our defenses to or maybe we never you know yep. they've been locked away since before we the people walked over on the land bridge you know there's i don't know it's scary stuff when you're fucking with 
with planetary systems have been stable for hundreds of thousands of years. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not ready to go quite to, you know, bed knobs and broomsticks and ghosts and whatnot. I, I still I'm, 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 I'm going to still I'm, keep my rational hat on for at least a, a one episode. But some of the speculation that's going on out there is, I think, interesting and admirable. Mm-hmm. Um if maybe not to my tastes, because there are some stuff out there that's like, oh yeah, they unleashed some pathogen, which I, I could see perhaps. Sure. Um, the, the other thing is there, there's some kind of connection to a Lovecraft thing that I read where like these star shaped, uh, let's, let's call them entities. I think I don't, there, there's some connection to like, the some alien species that was fucking around with life and kind of accidentally created humanity and and i forget exactly what it is but there's some kind of connection to a star-shaped material and we see Mm. all these star-shaped stab wounds we see the polar bear with the star-shaped stab on its eye we there's a lot of star-like uh stuff happening here I don't remember the exact details. Maybe one of these weeks, if if that if we can go further down that rabbit hole, we'll pull it. But that stuff is interesting. Uh, it could be aliens, is what I'm saying. Could be aliens. Could be aliens. Yeah. Uh, and December twentieth. Oh, go ahead. Well, well, let me say the the other thing that I thought was interesting when you look at Anne Kay, who's the the woman who was murdered six years ago or so, mm-hmm. is her seeming uh the the mantle she took up in the town was an eco activist uh she in the intro you can kind of see um a, a protest sign i guess that's yeah. co- sort of floating in the water it says save our save our water or something like that protect our water um tying it back to Anne. And i think that's interesting because if you want to talk about contaminants well she might have been fighting against them uh, she might have been killed for that. Uh, there's a lot of implications there. Oh, 100%. Um, so a few days later, December 20th, uh, a guy who's making his regular delivery to the station complains that nobody's coming out to help him unload the Doritos and whatever else they're getting. And he goes in and he finds the place looking strangely abandoned and he's startled to find a severed human tongue. Uh, underneath the sandwich prep area of the Slaw Research Station, um, which then obviously uh, gets the Alaskan police, uh, the APF, the Alaskan Police Force, I guess. I, this is a fictitious Alaskan police body. Okay. Um, there is not, cool. like, I think there's, like, an uh, an Alaskan... Pol- like, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't find any APF. Um, I think they're using fictitious just so they can have some kind of jurisdictional differences, but it can all be... Like it's just it's made up town, made up uh, police forces and all that stuff. But they show up to investigate. Um, you see Liz kind of sparring this guy named Hank Pryor. Do you get it, Pryor? He's he's the Pryor relationship. Okay, <laughs> sure. I think that's what they're going for. Um, and he's kind of dismissive about all this, you know, as being like, oh, you know, they might have just disappeared immediately. She uses her incredible mom skills of knowing when mayonnaise goes bad and how long moldy laundry takes a stink up that bad and a washer to be like, nah, these guys have been missing at least two, if not three days. Mm -hmm. And her extensive knowledge of native women's tongues. True. There's that (laughs) as well. 
Um, what did you make of her extreme reaction to the Beatles? Clearly, this is a trauma response of some kind. Yeah. She's triggered by this song. And I, th- I have some speculation. Uh, I've seen some speculation. I think it's Me too. probably about as close as we can get without more information um, that this is somehow connected to the death of her adopted daughter's father. Mm-hmm. And there, there are hints of that. We We don't really get a lot of information on that in this episode, but there's definitely some hints to tell us that something bad happened there. It's probably related to a drunk driving incident, um, and it probably has something to do with her response to this song. Yeah, I agree. Um, in fact, let's go ahead and spell out. Uh, people have said that it's probably the song that was playing when uh, that, uh, that that happened, or maybe it was stuck on repeat in the car and she responded to the scene. We'll have to find out, but it's sure. some kind of connection to that seems probable, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was one of the early parts of humor where she's, you know, it's like uh, clearly it's she's she's traumatized by it, but her just desperately trying to turn off as uh, this Peter guy narrates all. No, we tried that. That that doesn't open. Nope, that doesn't need it there. And you can see the exact point where he just like, oh fuck it, I don't care that much, and she she just continues to rip into it until she finds it. And then the thing that really tells me that this is not normal behavior. I mean, mm-hmm. A, it's how fast she runs to this song and identifies we need to shut this off. But B, the way she shuts it off. Normal people would open that compartment. They would see a DVD player. They would press the stop button. They would unplug yeah. it, maybe. She's just hammering on it with her fist. Right, like a feral animal. Like some, to... yeah, monkey who sees something nasty they don't <laughs> like. Just smash it, you know? Yeah. I got some Marge Gunderson feel from Jodie Foster's character here because, like, she's on a next level. Like, mm-hmm. one guy's like, ah, fuck it. We'll see if they come back in a couple days. And the other guy can't even figure out how to turn off a TV that's blaring. And she's like, who's funding this place? You know, three seconds mm-hmm. on the scene, she's already thinking, "Where? let's follow the money. Let's figure out what's going on here. <laughs> I thought uh-huh. it was uh, pretty impressive. Um because she assigns his book report to Peter and he gives it back to us, we get a whole bunch of information dumped to us as an audience. Uh, Salal yeah. Station has been running for 18 years. They're researching the impact of the climate change on, among other things. There's eight researchers from all over the world. Um, all men. Uh, there's only... Uh, there's 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 eight guys uh, uh, with experts from geology, geophysics, geobiology, paleomicrobiology, environmental chemistry, biophysics, and structural biology. And as we explore the base, we see um, a facility where they're storing their ice core samples, which I thought is interesting. It's like one of those high security. You got to badge your way through, but the 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 key was just tied to the lock essentially to have a guy's mm-hmm. badge hanging from it, um, implying that maybe that there a security breach could be connected to the disappearance, the sloppy security. Yeah. So there's something interesting that happens when the delivery guy shows up too. Um, and oh, and yeah? it's, it's very horror like, but it's also informational. I think um, when he shows up, the facility's empty, except somebody runs through the hallway. Oh, yes. I forgot to mention that. Um, yeah, there is a potential one of these eight scientists not dead. I, it, to me, when I pause that and I look at it, I couldn't identify the, the patch on the coat, but the color of that person's coat is perhaps identical to the color of the really? coat. Really? Yeah. Really interesting. 
which means maybe Clark is running around there somewhere. Um, and he could be the source of this thing and the, the person who murdered them all. Who knows? A couple other things that we we find. There's a whiteboard with calculations um, and a big uh, scrawl that says we are all dead. Now, when we were going through the populated base in the cold open, we saw that this guy looking at these numbers and the guy comes in is like, oh, you're looking at new data. He's like, no, old data. But he's he, he had just circled one set of data with with um, a red marker. And then he's kind of making a frowny face as he's approaching it, as this, as like he's not liking what he's seeing. Hmm. Is this potentially a mist? Because we know that sometime in the next couple of minutes or hour or so that he scrawled, we're all dead. Is this a potential misdirect where this is just like a cynical scientist who is looking at global warming and like seeing a new conclusion? It's like, oh, yeah, we're just so fucking boned. Or yeah. is this more she is awake kind of crazy so scrawling I'll, I'll push back we don't know that he actually wrote we are all dead true we true. know that somebody wrote it um yes so i think that's an interesting question right if you want to like tie it to the environment stuff yeah uh, and there's the three there, there's like some there, data points and say we're fucked there's like three more figures that were circled in red he had only circled i uh-huh. think one and so there's more that's almost like he was making I, that's the other thing i wanted to point out there but but continue and there's something at the bottom of that board too um talking about separating out different isotopes and the lighter ones will preferentially rise and the heavy ones will sink i I don't i don't know if that ties into the case at all but um yeah so i i I immediately look at this and saying are they playing some kind of you know uh ar sort of game with us you know uh some online like okay look at these coordinates because there's a latitude and a longitude there um there are some other data apparently points. it's an impossible did you see that that's an impossible coordinates oh no i didn't because it, it gives the minutes in as like 65 and you can't have more than 60 minutes in a coordinate gotcha so these are literally invalid coordinates that that might be the equivalent of putting a 555 in a phone number just so like you know because mm-hmm. if you put a real g you're gonna have someone punch it in and then they're gonna be like oh what's here and it might be but a way I- just to fictionalize it yeah uh i could definitely see you know research scientists being like yeah we're screwed because of climate change but it could also be well we unleash something that yeah is terrifying and we're screwed um 100 they, they could have detected some new data points at some point during that conversation maybe he's working on old ones maybe he lied about it this is new data he just didn't want this True. other guy working on it with him uh and he determined that oops the new data says the mining facility just you know released a bunch of toxic gas and we all at this facility are dead we all up here in ns are dead a lot of possibilities and then we're gonna have the bridge that launches us into the second arm of the investigation which they find this native woman's tongue or at least uh jodie foster's character liz surmises that because it has grooves worn in from the constant licking of the ends of threads that repair fishing nets. I did some research and I could not find any instance of tongued grooves or grooved tongues. Um, hmm. But I guess it's plausible, you know. It's certainly yeah. It's certainly plausible. Yeah, I mean, I, I buy it. 
and yeah. you you know you get repetitive stress injuries that damage your muscles and shit why couldn't it happen to you know the tissue i would think so too um and there's all kinds of like you know and uh the people's like you you can tell by looking at people like how callous their hands are you know what kind of work they do it's i i it's it doesn't seem implausible mm-hmm um, so this is going to, like I said, this is going to springboard us into the other possibly connected investigation of this missing native activist who was protesting the mines. Uh, did they ever say what kind of mine it is? Is this like a cold mine? I noticed it was called Silver Sky. Is it like a silver mine? I don't know. I don't know if they said. We're introduced to it by her brother, who um, Officer Navarro goes to talk about uh, or talk with um, to try to see if, you know, she's missing, you know, this this tongue showed up and it's got her kind of turning over things in her mind. Uh, We find out that uh, he's not doesn't seem particularly happy to see her either. No. Um, because it turns out that the Anne kind of was like off on her own island. Uh, a lot of the town folk opposed her because they saw the mine as essentially propping up the whole town. If the mine dies, they do. Um, you know, the mining folk didn't like her. She was struggling with the, you know, she's fighting with her family. Um, yeah, but uh, so, so we didn't find much out of that. Um, then Peter, uh, 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 it turns out that they had files on this missing woman and the police department got flooded at some point and Hank Pete's dad has made off with these files and Ann, the Ann files are, are part of it this is a mystery that I don't know how to solve why Liz who is I think the police of the, the chief of police got four stars on her collar why can't she just go to Hank and be like give me these files you fucker these are not your files. <laughs> I think she could. I think she has the authority to do that. Why won't she is the question, right? It's got to be some kind of pride power struggle. Like, it seems like she's all... Mm-hmm. I, just from what I can tell, it seems like they have very different ideas of how to do things when it comes to police work. You know, he's wanting to let the drunk drivers out of this, the drunk tank before they even sober up. He's mm-hmm. not really wanting to spend too much time uh investigating this this research station uh he's kind of dismissing her there's some kind of power struggle and for whatever reason she'd prefer to use pete peter his son to get the things that she want rather than ask herself there's also like someone's challenged me on the instant talk about like why do you think that they're a couple the reason I think they're a couple is because, you know, the, all the preview stuff that I read and research mentioned that they had a former relationship. But even without mm. that, I thought that pretty much screamed off of the the screen, you know, that these feel like people who had an intimate relationship that went sour. And now they kind of hate each other, but they have to work each other with each other. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think there's anything specific I can point to to say that this makes it definitive, but it's a vibe I'm getting from them. The, the way she's commenting on his domestication. Uh-huh you're not the kind of dad that made sandwiches. You don't know your way around a laundry room. Like that's yeah. That'd be yeah. a wild thing for your chief of police to say, you know, if she hadn't picked up your dirty, <laughs> smelly socks off her bedroom floor, you know? Uh huh. Yeah. I, I think you're right. Um, there's some relationship there. I'm, I'm super curious about this whole part of the episode and it's one of the least talked about parts of the episode from what mm-hmm. I've seen is no one I could find discussing why this power struggle is happening. This and Hank's, potential involvement in things i don't see a lot of discussion about that either maybe because it's we don't 
we just don't have a ton of information I did see about it. a decent number of people saying ah uh, Hanks act like it's not just he's disinterested in the police work he's actually trying to run cover well there are a lot Maybe, of ways that can go a lot of reasons can, can why you, he can you break that because like I didn't I didn't uh the, the the one thing that people were pointing to is him texting um as they're exiting the Salal building and I thought that was just him making final details with his girlfriend to pick her up from the you know like it mm-hmm. seemed like the reason he's preoccupied is because he's about to welcome his Russian bride, mail order bride, into the states. Right? She's about to. Yeah, I think there are a lot of plausible. About to row over the Bering Straits to to see him. You know. <laughs> sure. I, I think there are a lot of plausible things he could be doing there, and one of them is just you know he's distracted by this thing that he's excited about with yeah. his Russian mail order bride. Um, it could also be that he's deeply connected to the Ann K murder and he's texting people to say this shit's back on they found the tongue you know another like, tongue. we need to move guys uh, we, we thought we were clever and we hid that tongue at the bottom of a of an ice core sample <laughs> but they up. looked at the old data no one thought they'd look at the old data yeah we hit it where the, the at some unnatural hour of latitude <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. They cracked, had it. He, he let it go. I don't get it. They cracked. They found the watch with the sixty seventh minute. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so there are a lot of plausible reasons he could be texting there. The thing that makes it, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's fishy yet. I think at bare minimum, this guy is incompetent. I think that's one thing they're kind of like trying to show us is he's like a guy who doesn't take his work nearly as seriously as Liz does. Um, And I think you can sort of piece it together that he was in Liz's position. He was maybe the chief up there when Navarro was working the Ann K case. Cause later on they say that he's the one that took the Navarro off the case. I think I'm with you. I thought uh, and of course, I've only seen this like two and a half times. I thought that there might be room to interpret that as, um, I think the Christopher Eccleston figure, Connolly, Connolly as the one taking taking the the him off or her off the case. Um, because they were kind of vague about the pro you know, when they're using those pronouns about he. Huh. Take, but so, but that I I, I don't. I, I'm not even sure I have concrete evidence for the the vagueness. It's just that's the kind of I okay, thought it was a little yeah, maybe, maybe I'm fast and loose with it. Um, it's possible, but my my interpretation right now, my reading is that Hank was the the chief. Hank was the guy in charge. Yeah, when that case was going on, so you know there's possibilities here, right? There there's sure. a possibility he's an incompetent cop who couldn't get that case solved because of his incompetence. Uh. And now he realizes, oops, I fucked a lot of stuff up during that investigation and I don't want people to find out so I can't give them the files. The other possibility is he is deeply involved in it. He maybe contributed to or covered up the murder knowingly um, and and now he's trying to cover up that fact. The third possibility is he's just kind of a lazy... He's he's disinterested in solving the case, and so he's not getting the case, the files to her in time, and like he's just kind of a general goofball. That's another. I wonder is there like in, in the, the, she she makes a statement that kind of like I backs up one of your assertions there that like uh, she says Innis killed this woman. That's mm-hmm. why it'll never be solved. And I think what she means that is like the vast majority of people who live in Innis is kind of like yeah, that's about right. 
Yeah. And maybe she shouldn't get been stabbed 30 times, but like we're, you know, we kind of support silencing her and taking her off the board. Mm hmm. Because of her and activist roots, that kind of stuff. That could be like, honestly, Hank, like could be um, maliciously negligent or he could just be like, oh, you know, fuck. Uh, mm-hmm. She fucked around and she found out. Um. The, yeah, the sure. so the facts of so we get the facts of the case when Peter drops off the case files he kind of blackmails Liz into telling her the the details and she says that uh, Navarro was the first person on the scene they found her murdered in a cargo container she was stabbed thirty two times with a sharp object that left star shaped wounds she was missing her tongue the murder weapon was never found she was in the community a midwife. Uh, an activist, a protester. She drove the mine folks nuts and the from management down to the workers. Um, and apparently Navarro got so obsessed. It's so interesting how Liz Liz's attitude about this. Like she's almost rolling her eyes and like, ah, oh, can you believe this woman getting obsessed about tracking down women? To, you know, the, the the people that are doing violence against women. Um, but she got obsessed with this case start. And when her investigation went nowhere, started bugging what Liz describes as mind people, including showing up at a Kate McKittrick's house. Yeah. I don't know who this Kate McKittrick is, but I'm guessing she's got to be like one of the owners or the CEOs or someone high up that, uh, Mm -hmm. Navarro started demanding answers from, and that's when uh, your dad had take uh, when, when she says Pete's dad. Yeah, you're right. She said your dad had to take her off the case. That doesn't mean he's the chief okay. of police. It just means he would be Navarro's superior. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if that means he's the chief. It just means yeah, Connolly could be above him. Uh, yeah. There could be somebody else we don't know yet. Yeah. Although when they were looking at that picture, I got to say that like my interpretation of that is like uh, her and Christopher Eccleston's character was standing at the extreme outside. To me, that says that they were kind of outsiders. And I think the guy standing in the middle is kind of blurred. I think that was Hank. So I actually think you're right. I think yeah. Hank is the chief was the chief of police. Yeah, there's nothing like super conclusive, but it's but it's like what? political machinations led to them having a love affair and at the end of it she is going to be the chief of police and he's reporting to her yeah him getting busted down i don't know man negligence is is my only thought like it just came out that yeah this guy's not a good chief and but he's still a police officer i I guess Uh that checks out like okay he's too incompetent to be the chief but yeah you know you can scrape caribou off the road or whatever (laughs) sure yeah need people Um, to do those jobs so yeah um so that's uh that's that takes care of those two aspects there's only one other of the central mystery and that's rose agonow which i referred to as harry potter's aunt uh throughout the maybe about take do you want to talk about maybe some of the star shaped wounds around this because with the Anne k killing that was interesting to me for for its symbology there and its connection to the she's awake stuff um hmm. specifically this polar bear right that has this star-shaped wound over its eye mm-hmm. and shows up when weird things are happening and the the radio perhaps is um saying she's awake uh there seems to be some connection to she's awake in the Anne k situation 
there's three instances of her saying of someone saying she's awake. One mm-hmm. is the uh, guy who says it in the research station as he's convulsing. One is the little boy says it to yeah. I forget his name. We'll, we'll get to that when Holden. we get to Holden uh, says it to her um, in her dreams, I guess, or mm-hmm. as a ghost whispering into her, her ear. And the third is, yeah, when um, Navarro is driving around late at night talking to someone who's connected with the old Ann K case, she starts to get the radio disturbances, and then, yeah, she hears it somehow. Somehow. Or we hear it? I'm not even clear that she hears it. Uh, we hear it, definitely. And two of those are connected tightly to a, t- uh, to a polar bear. Um, uh-huh. When uh, Liz hears it, she looks down, there's a polar bear stuffy missing an eye. I think that's real. Uh, I think... Yeah, that's a real stuffed animal, I think. <laughs> and then Navarro, Navarro sees the the this the uh, a real polar bear with a missing eye in the same location as a toy had one. So that's that's wild. Yeah. So when anyway, Rose is out there gutting the wolf like you do, don't know why you'd butcher a wolf. I guess for its pelt, but uh, she's butchering it, and the wolf seems to like start as if it's still alive, which she's like, that's fucking weird. And she looks off in the middle distance and this guy named Travis shows up. He's got not wearing a coat, no hat, no gloves, no, no, no shoes, socks, bare, no shoes. Yeah. Barefoot on the Alaskan tundra. Um, so yeah, um, this is the guy who I thought was Christopher Eccleson in, in the instant take podcast. Cause I think he looks like Christopher Eccleson with wild hair, but he's not, <laughs> Um, then Rose is back. Uh, so, so she has one encounter with them. She's then doing her dishes later that night when Travis comes calling again. This time she puts on her coat and decides to follow where he's going. And he fall. She follows him out to a flat spot with her flashlight, uh, where he starts doing what I can only describe as interpretive dance. He's waving like a, a frond of seaweed in the ocean. He's, I think making... of the scene in big Lebowski where his neighbor, <laughs> His landlord, his landlord does the interpretive dance. Yeah, he's he's making some swirl, admittedly spiral shaped gestures. Okay, uh, <laughs> okay, and he he ends with this by pointing over the horizon, and she follows that. And the next thing we know, she's alerted the uh, police forces who are showing up with helicopters. And Navarro asked how she found them, and she says Travis showed me. And she assures people, I know he's dead. We find out Travis mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. dead. Um, and then we see again. I'm not sure if these are eight scientists. We see three frozen scientist heads so far. One I was I thought was interesting. It's clearly visibly naked from the shoulders up. So possibly all huh. these scientists naked. Uh, and they all seem to be screaming in agony or terror. Some people said they were frozen like a swirling position. I mm. I, I don't know what from from swirl. They look like dudes frozen in an ice an ice cube for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's all I'm prepared to say about that too. I'm not even uh, sure. Would you say they're reclining? Would you say they're like? It seems like they're recoiling from something, maybe, or or one of them is attacking another. But almost? are they laying uh, down? Like I, I like I'm thinking they could be frozen straight up and down, and the like like some kind of flash frozen be. situation. Because I, I whatever happened to them had to be very quick. Yes, because if they died and their faces went slack, these things, these people look like they're dying in agony or fear. Yep, got their hands up as if they're yeah, defensive. One of them yeah. has hands up in a defensive posture. Yeah, it's yeah, it's curious. This is exciting. I, I like this as a cliffhanger. 
maybe this is another detached interlude because it it's not I, I think it's directly related to these cases but it's more of the inspiration i want to talk about the uh, what seems to be a big thing this season which is the disappearance of native and indigenous women okay. um we talked about in the preview podcast that uh you know the person who plays navarro uh, Kaylee Reese is very involved in the missing and, and, and murdered indigenous women um, uh, charity work. Uh, the previous uh, show that she did, uh, which I, was a catch the right ones, I think um, was all about a woman investigating her sister, missing sister. Um, and there's some shocking statistics. Um, I first became aware of this one because uh, it's something that's frequently brought up in the reservation dog show that we, we, we like, but the statistics are wild. The homicide homicide rate rate for indigenous women in Canada is six times higher than all other women. And despite being 4% of the population, they accounted for 16% of all women murdered in Canada. Wow. Uh, which is in the last decade, which is another wild statistic. And the U.S., it's not much better. A native woman in the United States is twice as likely to experience violence in their lifetimes compared to non-native women. And I think some people could have like a knee jerk response of like, oh, man, native men don't treat their women very well. But 67 percent of the perpetrators in the United States against indigenous women are non-indigenous. So it's violence mm-hmm. coming from outside the community in an outsized proportion. And the other mm-hmm. thing you find out when you look into this is like, my God, this is insane. Uh, why isn't things being done or why aren't people looking into this? And you, you, you keep coming back to the conclusion. It's like people just don't fucking care. You know, like it's it's not it, it's one of the things that makes this the people that's involved in these communities despair is that it, it's very hard to get any kind of like a t- attention. And I, I feel like that's maybe starting to change because I think of like the last year, Reservation Dogs, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, this show, bam, 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 pretty big cultural milestones kind of hammering on this. So, so maybe they'll get some some mm-hmm. traction now. Um but yeah, it's a it's a real it's a real epidemic, and I, I there's also equally horrifying trafficking statistics as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, it's it's a real problem, and Isa Lopez is trying to shine a light on it. And uh, like I said, Kaylee Reese seems to definitely care a lot about the issue. Yeah. Do you? I, I kind of want to talk about the credit sequence. Um, okay. Yeah. You know, we talked about a little bit of this. I I've decided I, I I think it's I like it. I think the um, the Billie Eilish song is really catchy, and it's kind of like a really creepy and detuned. And you know mm-hmm. the it has you know, an underwater sort of frozen sound to it, which I think fits it well with the. Does song. have a little bit of an underwater kind of sound to it, and the way she's talking about you know why are you f- afraid of me? Why are you run from me? Where do we go when we're asleep? Where do we go? You know when we're unconscious, kind of creepy. I like it, and the imagery. You've got you know some ice road trucking. It's just lots of scenes of the frozen highway. I noticed that some of those scenes had like these giant arches over it, which I think are whale bones. Oh. Okay. Um, there's a full bathtub that's frozen. Mm-hmm. I d- can't imagine what that's about. A rocking chair uh, with polar bear, both stuffed and real variety. Bloody clothes on laundry lines. Like, you know, the circular, lo- like compact laundry lines that you see sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Animal skulls interspersed with ice cores. A cemetery with a bunch of grave uh, markers. Uh, like you mentioned, the protest posters. Police SUVs. Uh, the two. It uh, looks like Age or Officer Navarro and uh, Danvers drowning. 
Mm-hmm. An orange peel suspended in frozen water. Godfather reference? <laughs> That's where my mind goes immediately with oranges, yeah. I don't know. Uh, dead body parts, like uh, like a, a, a dead foot, discolored foot, people frozen in ice, ice tunnels. Um, it's, yeah, it's a very dreamlike quality to the imagery. I thought it was pretty, pretty affecting. And also very clue heavy from what I understand. I, I read an interview with Issa Lopez where she was talking about how they kind of just went wild with the clues in that intro. Oh, really? They just, they just had fun with it. Yeah. So there might be a lot of stuff that uh, we haven't figured out yet that's in this episode and in that Got intro. Got five whole episodes to go, but like, yeah, and obviously mm-hmm. there's a lot of hits on that, but it's like, is it the type of clue that only makes sense in the uh, context of full season? Or... Yeah, like a bath, uh, frozen bathtub. What the hell does that have to do with anything we saw in this episode? Exactly. Exactly. You're listening to The World We Deserve. We'll be right back. We're back with more of the world we deserve. Uh, so I, I thought that the, the other major topics could be the lead investigators themselves. And I'd like to start with Liz Danvers. Okay. Um, I thought it's interesting. I don't, I'm wondering because like, you know, we just got done with Christmas. I love Christmas. I love Christmas episodes. It's lots of Christmas imagery. You know, we're just a few days before Christmas. The The police department's all decorated. Um, people are talking about kids and, and Santa Claus and whether they're going to get pictures of the Santa Claus. Uh, Liz seems like it's important to her that she provides some kind of like classic, good old fashioned Christmas to her adopted stepdaughter, uh, Leah. Maybe out of guilt. It almost feels like a, I'm never really her mother. I need to do something nice. Do you think that, or is this like, um, or is it like that's something she's always done? I, I didn't get any guilt out of it. That's like a, something that I think the 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 girl Leah said that like you know you don't have to be my mom. My dad, I don't think my dad would have expected it from you. Yeah, it was something about the placement of it. Um, after you know the, the, she's talking with her daughter and she the daughter's saying like you don't even give a shit and all this stuff and and you. I just look at that and I say, this is a woman who's more concerned with her job than she is with her daughter, um, with being a mother. So that's where I'm coming from. It's something about the vibe of their relationship. It could be just teen because like, you know, there's also it could just be, you know, a teenager who's like doesn't care about the big Christmas celebrations anymore and the stepmom trying to keep it going. And I, yeah, I can, I can kind of relate to kids aging out of the, the old Christmas stuff, but yeah, I don't know. It's I, I was wondering is that the is that just some kind of where's the guilt coming from? Is it coming from the daughter observing like the behavior of her stepmom? Is it coming from like a real place of kind of like yeah resentment that Liz has that she's stuck with these people out of some sense of guilt or responsibility? Because I I kind of felt yeah. like that's one of the reasons she's taken Pete under her wing is that she and maybe she's missing a child of her own that that Colton character is like was her child that she lost and she's then trying to find other children that she can care for um, amongst her former lovers I hmm 
Because that's the other speculation I'm making is that she was in some sort of loving relationship with Leah's father. Yeah, I haven't made that jump yet. I'd love to hear more about why you think that is. Um because I'm all because I'm running wild to speculation. Uh, uh, of course. I think I, I, like <laughs> the, I want to run with she, you. Take my hand. So let's do. So this. why do we think she had the emotional reaction to the Beatles? Because that was what's uh, playing when the drunk driving incident happened. Why would she have an intense relate? If that was if she's just a cop okay. going to a drunk yeah. driving scene and being like, "Oh man, dad, oh young daughter, that's sad." That's one thing, but to like take it personal to where. Where it's 10 years you later song, you yeah. have to hunt it down and kill it that tells me that there was it's it's more than just a girl it's there was some sort of relationship okay. yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense um that reaction not exactly does. qed but i'm getting there i feel like i got two-thirds of the equation anyway well my read on liz is not somebody who's going out seeking relationships with people um and i don't know if this is a change that happened after some disastrous thing where she lost perhaps her lover and son um yeah not the same person by the way uh or if this is something that has always been part of her personality but she seems to a not be very good at parenting and b not seeking it out like doing it almost reluctantly that's the vibe i'm getting from her I so this is uh, this is but it's man, weird because of the Pete stuff too. So I'm making a lot of a lot of wild swings, but like I got the I got this feeling that like maybe she is pretty quick to jump into relationships, jump in and out okay. of them. Because I look at a woman who in this small town has at least had three relationships. I'm if, if this Colton is a child of her, she had a she had a relationship with his father. She had a relationship with Leah's father. She had a relationship with Pete's father. And I think she's pretty like I I, I also got the idea that she is an outsider. Like she got transferred here. I don't know where mm-hmm. I got that in surmisal. Uh, maybe because she just feels like she's better than everybody around here. But like, yeah, well, like she flashback gets a... that that we see of, of somebody's feet as she's walking across the, the pavement to get to the yeah. drunk driver to Stacy. Yeah. That does not look like it happened in this town. It doesn't, but also, like, Alaska goes through a whole summer. Oh, I know. I'm not yeah. saying because it's grass. I'm saying because it's, like, a curb. There's, like, yeah, a no, I, I definitely a curb, and, like, it, it, it looks suburban. more developed than, yeah, yeah. than this extremely remote research yeah. mining town. Yeah. No, I feel you. I, I was one of the devil, devil's advocate because I got that same feeling. Like, this isn't, even though I know Alaska has a summer and it can be green and beautiful, uh-huh. like, it, this, this oh, it felt is, like yeah. lush suburban sidewalk. Yeah. front lawn type of situations much I don't more think manicured than you care to be at Ennis I would think yeah 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 so I, I think we're 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 simpatico but like the idea that she mm-hmm. came to this community and kind of like maybe was trying to find whatever she was missing I wonder if there's been multiple yeah. drunk driving incidents like did her son get well, killed Stacey, in a drunk driving incident twice, and then is least. that why she took Leah in because Maybe she didn't have a relationship with her father. It's just, oh, no. shit, I had a child killed by a drunk driver. Here's a child orphaned by a drunk driver. Yeah. There's room in my heart. There's room in my home. Wow. And then Stacy's done it twice. Maybe maybe the she that, that everybody's saying she's awake is Stacy. Surely Stacy hasn't killed anybody. I don't think so, no. Because, like, I think the town... Twice. 
there would be a little bit the different tone to <laughs> oh, is that yeah. Stacy fucking Chalmers than there is if she's just a me- why do I think it's so funny when Jodie Foster bullies this woman uh, I don't know but I'm with you because she's clearly just... a, a, a menace right like she's mm. she's drunk driving risking killing people if not actually killing people she's right. being as obnoxious as she possibly can in that prison cell or in that jail cell yeah yeah there's something about her you don't yeah i don't know i find it hilarious too i i really love yeah. it yeah because like i guess it always bothers me um when some person has egregious behavior and they're just so pathetic and sniveling about it it's like no, you're you can't make me feel bad for being angry at you just because you're pathetic. You're you're, yeah, you're yeah. behaving in an outrageous fashion out here driving drunk. I don't care how blubbery and so like, get the fuck up and take. Yeah. Like take this bullying like. A, yeah. You, you, I, I, I need mm-hmm. to let I need to let a little bit of my annoyance and anger out. OK. Um, yeah, yeah. But I yeah, she's just so it's the way. <laughs> the way uh, uh, Liz just just stands her up and like shut the fuck up, turns around, cuffs her. She's just over it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, the neighbors like yanking open the windows. That fucking Stacy Chalmers again. Just, <laughs> just no parking meter is safe in this town from her. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we think is going? Because like at first I was like, what are they trying to tell me about Leah with the ages and everything? As far as I can tell, these this she is like 16 years old. She goes to high school with this girl that she's in an intimate relationship, and they filmed a little bit of uh, underage porno. Hey, look, that's not good, kids. You sh- you should you shouldn't trade because like the, the, if this this gets in the hands of the authorities, it will be considered child porn, and it will be a whole big fucking deal. Uh, I don't know if they were making the point that it's not actually child porn or something because the, like the age of consent is 16 in Alaska and so is the that distinction what between is? 15 uh, and 16 might be important I don't know but it might be but like more, it could also I, be a kid just like you know being petulant and saying oh yeah. she's not 15 she's 16 mom uh, but I thought it was a weird because I, at first I was like oh my god is this woman 20 you know <laughs> like but I know sure, I don't yeah. I don't think that's the case I think it's it's all yeah, they're all the I same didn't... age. It was all consenting. It's just, it's just foolish. It's foolish teenage behavior, but something that a lot of kids do. That's the and... thing they don't, they don't think about it, right? And, and right. I, man, the way, the way she frames it is like, oh yeah, all the legal angles are covered, or all the criminal angles are covered, mom. Uh, when they're talking about it, I'm like, you, you're missing the point. What your mom is saying is there are unforeseen yes. angles for this to come to the attention of the community. And then you will be forever branded a particular type of person. And, and the kids and just only don't 16. think about those possibilities. You can't even conceive of your life, let alone what the impacts. And But also there's right. the immortal teenage response, which is YOLO, man. Like, it, fuck it. It's like, I, totally, I, that, yeah. that, it's so funny that because I'm, I mean, I'm not going through this particular thing, but the whole like, yeah, sometimes kids just have to, uh, they got to make their own mistakes like you you you, you want them mm-hmm. to be like why can't you learn from all my mistakes and all the things i'm teaching you but then yeah. you think as yourself as a child does that you know maybe you did a little bit better no. or worse but no one learned everything that they needed to just by listening okay you no, know absolutely not <laughs> yeah so it is infuriating but uh it is also a fact of life um, i felt like a very real conversation i liked it yeah, I could. Yeah. And even the daughter trying to have a conversation with her about the drunk driving angle of it and their shared trauma. 
which is that's mm-hmm. where I started thinking like, okay, this this thing that Jodie Foster went through is probably predates her, and it's something that they have a shared bond with, but it's not the actual same trauma that bonded them. It's just a similar one. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Um. Yeah, she also that's the other thing is like the whole her and Hank being in a relationship, the way she talks mad shit about Stacy Chalmers blowing him and about his Russian bride and all that stuff is. Mm-hmm. But also it's like I, I it makes me think it's all true because like when she said the Russian bride, I thought that was going to be a joke, but it doesn't seem like it's a joke. No, it's real. He's flying in a woman from Vlad this stock to get married over Christmas, like some kind of demented Hallmark movie. Like, yeah. A Russian and he bride knows so for little about this woman that he he's his grand gesture is to paint a room the color she likes. It's blue, yeah, <laughs> but, but not like a specific blue. It's not like they've traded texts and she said, "Oh yeah, I love this blue." He's just like guessing at the blue. He barely knows this woman. Um. So. I know Pete's not direct, but it's just such a minor scene that I shoved it under Liz's scene. Uh, he's got a wife, a native, uh, mm. a Native American wife, um, who oh, is exposing their son. Oh, you think this is a minor son. scene? I mean, it's it's just like yeah, like it's not a minor scene, but it's like three minutes out of the runtime. It's the only time we actually see Pete okay. on his own um, with his family. But yeah, he's got he's got. I don't. I'm not sure if they're married, but they're definitely in a relationship where they're co-parenting this adorable little boy named darwin and uh she's exposing him to native myths and legends including apparently this horrifying blue woman with blood dripping out of her eyes and hands uh if i say the name sedna to you does that mean anything it's the name of an asteroid or a comet but it's also apparently a local water deity that yeah, so is this kind is of the like a goddess, mermaid looking goddess in Inuit mythology. This is the goddess of uh, the sea and marine life, I guess. Um, marine animals and the the whole story around her. The mythology here is that th- there are a lot of different stories about it in various uh, regional mythologies, mm-hmm. but they all have kind of in common one thing, which is that her father. Um, who was the the creator of all life, took her out to the sea in a kayak and something startled him, made him think that she was the cause of some of the the problems, whether it was a storm that came in or whether it was the gods were angry at her for something, uh, threw her overboard. She clung to the side and in order to get her off of the ship, he had to cut her fingers off. Hmm. And so this image that you see here is almost certainly Sedna. Uh, when you say, "Okay, this uh, Inuit woman has been that's why you know, putting mythological stories into this kid's head, and that's what he's upset about. That's why her hands are bleeding. And if you look, also the fingers are separated from the hands. Um, you got star-shaped wounds on the eyes, which ties back to the Anne K stuff. Uh, but this, I I think, is interesting in a sort of like there are other ties to it as well like if you look at the crab processing facility um the woman who has been abused by this man is missing a couple fingers in a shot and they they address it right, explicitly it's part of the job. In the yeah yeah interesting i like that um, 
and and you know being the goddess of the sea and marine life and these environmental concerns all kind of tie in too so that kind of hints that maybe it's an environmental pollution or contamination sort of thing that we're dealing with also you know how like they say that like there's these worldwide myths about floods you know like the story of gilgamesh and noah and it all points back to like there might be some primordial trauma in mesopotamia like a Mm globe like not a global flood but a regional flood that's so traumatic it's embedded in all the world's cultures you think in terms of uh you know eve and Pandora, and I guess Sedna, where all the world's problems are introduced by women. Do you think that also sure. points to some kind of universal truth about women being the root cause of all of our problems? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, you know, course, you yeah. know, it just it just stands to reason if they're yeah. Uh, anyway, no, but it's definitely a theme that the show is playing with, right? Like, what is the animosity mm. toward women, especially this? particular type of woman this native woman yeah Um, why do you want to shut them up yeah um and there's also like some friction there between the not not just uh the sharing native stories and all that kind of playful white and american white boy stuff but she also seems to be really upset with how obsessed he is with this job and how much uh asks uh danvers is making of him yeah and how he kind of can't say no uh the other thing about the sedna stuff i think is interesting is um she's awake right i mean this is the goddess mm-hmm. of the sea and marine life so i could see this being a sort of local vibe that that she's awake might mean sedna is awake um and typically what happens in these these myths with sedna is when she gets angered or perhaps when she's awakened in a certain point of view um a shaman has to go out and brush her hair for her because mm. she can't do it herself she has no fingers um, ah. so there, there's some appeasing that needs to happen of this angered vengeful spirit uh, so this this could be the, the less literal term of like she's awake right I like it um we saw a, the photo that uh, Pete uses as cover when his dad you know, he's over there says, hey I said I'd show um, Darwin an old picture of me so I want to go through all your stuff. And the dad's like, all right. Um, but when he comes in there, uh, he kind of catches his son doing something weird at the window. He's like, so I, I think he's suspicious. And he says, what did you, I want to see what you took. And he shows him mm-hmm. a picture of, I think him and his mom, which implies another tragedy that has befallen a woman. Right. Cause I, it feels like she's yeah. out of the picture more than just, they got divorced. You know, yeah. um, I thought that was Sounds interesting. Right. Like there's all this mysterious, um, you know, bad, bad disappearances connected with women. And oh, so we, we are. We also talked about Liz sleeping and wakes up. That's that's a really creepy scene. I thought this was a very Issa Lopez scene where the, the child's hand like touches mm-hmm. her shoulder and she wakes up almost like it's actually there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But see, doesn't seem bothered by it either. She it seems like this might be a recurring thing for her. Yeah a familiar sort of experience because she doesn't recoil like you might if a hand child. suddenly yeah, even touched if you. Her dead child, it's like, I don't think she takes it as yeah. a creepy thing. It's more of a, yeah, this is happening quite a bit. What do you think she keeps? Does she sleep at the one-eyed polar bear? To kind of remind, th- is that her son? I think this is an artifact, yeah, of her relationship with her son. Yeah. I would say that that would start to be a little bit more evidence that this is a, a clear paranormal thing going on because I don't, know how the hell navarro would hallucinate 
a polar bear with a star-shaped eye wound that matches this little boy's polar bear stuffy with a missing eye. Anytime you see shared delusions, that's when it's like, oh, this is this isn't sure. just a chemical in the water. This is this is something happening. Yeah, I mean, you're. It's not just night country. It's bear country too. <laughs> Got polar <laughs> bears up there. So, right. I don't know. It could uh, be a coincidence, but who knows? So we also have that scene of Liz going doing her investigation with the the Carcosa spiral. Oh and yeah, I bet there's just a treasure trove of stuff in here if you know what to look for. I bet so many of these photos are showing us just big clues we don't understand yet. And it, it feels very early lost because especially with the polar bear, but like all these <laughs> random case studies of Alaskan biodiversity and the scientists' faces and the mm-hmm. bases and all that stuff and and she then gets the idea of like you can't, she's kind of resisting, but she keep, keep, keeps looking at that Ann K box and she's like, fuck it. She gets it out and starts looking for, and what do you know? She finds a potential match of the coat. Um, I, this early, I feel like this has got to be a misdirect that if they had a relationship, it was like a lover type relationship and that he's probably not directly connected to her death. But like the show definitely wants you to think he is, especially with him being perhaps a lone survivor of this event. Perhaps, yeah. As you mentioned, he's it, the whoever is running around the base appears to be wearing that jacket. Seemingly. Uh, I, I think this also shows that, like, there was stuff to follow up on that Hank just didn't do when this case was fresh. Um, where is Anne's jacket? You know, we have photos of her wearing this coat. Mm-hmm. Where did that coat go? Because she wasn't found with it. So uh, She wasn't found wearing a coat, which might imply yeah. that, yeah... So so where did that coat go? Who has it? You know, if they don't find it in her house, well, someone who was around her must have had it. And, you know, he couldn't he couldn't have, like, maybe known where it was, but he doesn't seem to have even investigated where it was. So we have this final scene uh, with featuring Liz. They'll probably transition us to the next topic of the other detective is she shows up to the station um, perhaps you know awaken like a little intuition waking up the middle of the night with her, her kid waking her up uh, and she finds Navarro already there accuses her of trespassing because this ain't her business warns her uh, that uh, this could sink you know this case sunk her once could sink her again and there's an interesting thing where it's like there's there's a bunch of bitterness and resentment on both sides where Navarro thinks that the Ennis Police Department in particular, and and Liz is kind of caught up in this that they're sandbagging or not taking the the thing seriously. And Liz says, "No, wait a mm-hmm. minute! I wasn't even here when you got taken off the case, and you're just mad that you didn't clear it because you were the one that was here and you couldn't get the shit done and you flamed out." So it's like, yeah, yeah. And then her um, response is exactly because that was her point. I can't let this go. This right, is personal. I, to me, I did right? let it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Liz yeah. is defensive because she thinks this is just, she's reflecting this at her, where it's really mm-hmm. this is no. She she understands. No, I'm I'm upset with myself. I did fail my yeah. you know quote unquote sister here. Uh, and she also talks about like you weren't there, like you literally the visceral reaction of seeing this woman's body and how they violated it, and the the anger and the hate to something that like stuck in her craw too. Because I imagine it is mm-hmm. like a, a crazy thing to find a person butchered like that. Oh yeah. Um. 
So yeah, maybe we can transition to our next police officer. Let's talk about Evangeline Navarro. Okay. Uh, we first see her responding to a crab packing plant. Did you notice the name of this place? Uh, this is Blue King. Blue King. How many other colors of king will we get in the True Detective <laughs> universe? Well, if you mix yellow and blue, you get green. So we need the green king. The, ex- the exact the exact shade of seafoam seafoam blue that uh yeah he that that uh, hank paints on his bedroom for his all right so bride. hank's no, the, blue, yeah. the blue king yeah. he's the, he murder. Is the yeah. blue king yeah holy shit <laughs> solved it in the first episode i mean hank's definitely more involved than we know currently but to say he's the blue aka yellow king i don't know man um i thought it was interesting how because I'm I'm still think this is an interesting scenario, an interesting um, a way to open this. Where Navarro comes in, and uh, first she's kind of interrogating the women about why did they, but then she switches to kind of like you know deciding that the guy is an asshole. I'm not sure why when she walked in on a guy who's unconscious on the ground and there's two women, one of them with a black eye and the other comforting why she decided that the women are in bed. But I guess that's what happened. The plant manager wanted those two to be arrested for assault. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause he's this dude's best friend. Like what's wrong with this asshole that he, this guy came in drunk and belligerent to lay hands on his ex who's broken up with them and moved out with them. And mm-hmm. this old native woman clocks him with a crab bucket, and she's mm-hmm. like, "This guy, this guy's got to go." Yeah, uh, this this guy clearly is biased. Um, the hostility towards out. the women. Yeah, he, yeah, he's a hostile. He's definitely hostile toward them, uh, but he seems hostile toward everyone. And and this yeah. is not getting him off the hook here. I'm I'm just observing his character. He seems hostile because he runs this plant and it's not going well he talks about every year the crabs get fewer and fewer uh the, the you know the meat diminishes he can't hit his quotas that kind of stuff um you know and and you can tie that back to the environmental stuff here but yeah his his attitude is i just want i wasn't getting like this is my best friend and i'm trying to protect him i was getting more like this guy well he doesn't work at the plant does he he doesn't work at the plant. Oh no, he doesn't. He doesn't. So never mind. I, I was because I was getting the vibe of like, well, he's our our best crab processing guy. Best Let's get guy. him back on the line. And a lady uh, with three fingers no. gets him hurt. No, I can't have. Yeah, <laughs> right. But no, that's not it. So, hmm. Yeah, he just seems like he's a sexist asshole. Um, I like how easily Navarro handled them. Of course, you know, she's obviously a very strong woman and uh, mm-hmm. he's also drunk. But uh, in oh, his yeah. indignation that she's taking a phone call while she's subduing him. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, like this woman's lost two fucking. She doesn't even look that old. She's like, what, in her mid 30s, maybe early 30s. And maybe, she's already yeah. missing two fingers on her right arm. Damn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so next. uh uh, she goes to her to Annie's brother, after you know, um, uh, to 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 kind of reopen this investigation, and he's got an interesting, you know, like it seems like he thought that his sister fucked around and found out, but now he sees like, oh, the water's gone to shit. It's not safe to drink as of three days ago. 
Um, and some of the things that she was prophesying in terms of water quality and the mine and all that might be coming true. So he's got like mixed feelings about it. But at the time, it seems like he kind of was like content to let sleeping dogs lie. Yeah. Do you think he um, has anything to do with the like, does he know who killed us? I mean, obviously, I don't think he said murder my sister. I'm cool with that. But like if the town of Venice truly murdered her. Yeah. Maybe he just it's is possible. a little bit like, hey, I'm not going to move here from here. And there's nothing else that's going to fix this. Like bringing the people to like who who do you bring to justice if a town killed a person? Right, right. Uh, it's possible he knows something or is withholding something that that she that might connect somebody to Anne. Uh, th- there's a conspicuous shot in this episode that I want to talk about when okay. uh, Navarro goes to to first talk to him and he's coming out of the coal mine or whatever mine it is. Mm-hmm. They linger on some dude. I saw that too. Just kind of next to Ryan here. Um, and he seems very concerned with Navarro talking to Ryan. Or, Agreed. Or highly interested in, in a somewhat negative way no he's put out he knows he's, something? he's definitely got who, who why the fuck is she here and i do wonder. Yeah. that's it i do wonder if he know like again i don't think her brother killed her but i think he probably knows who did and i bet this guy knows that he knows if i want to give him the benefit of the doubt i'm saying he's concerned because this is clearly going to reopen some old wound that his buddy here has just barely started healing True. from. Yeah, and that could be it too. He could be just genuinely concerned for his buddy's well-being, but I didn't get that vibe from him. Especially a six-year-old murder, would you bing that hard with a cop just standing to talk to your buddy? Or like, it almost like right. is the idea that he knows the tongue is out in the wild recently? <laughs> Maybe. Because why? Yeah, Maybe. why would you? Yeah, unless you're, he's just a concerned friend, it's like, oh my god, this guy is just now sleeping at night, and this fucking cop mm-hmm. is showing up again with a new lead. Maybe it's that, but like also, yeah, I don't like this guy. Yeah, why would he hit that hard six years later? I don't know. That's uh, I I I, I clock the same thing though. Uh, he also asked if um. I guess they're really estranged at the end that they had barely spoken leading up to her death. But then he asks her if she believes in God and she starts to explain about an experience she had in her last tour of duty and we're on the battlefield and she runs up this woman who's missing half of her head. Something's blown out half of her skull and she whispers something to her. Some people wondered if she is saying something about her son, but it's subtitled in this. Uh, when mm-hmm. I watched it again, she's saying, listen, yeah, um, but her knowledge of the existence of God has not brought her any comfort or feeling of less loneliness because she mentions God's alone too. It's interesting. Too. Yeah, which is pretty fucking metal. I love that statement. Uh, any thoughts about this experience that she had over in, in the global war on terror with this woman with half a head? No, I don't have enough context for it yet. I agree. Uh, it it connects, I guess, Liz and her because they both have some traumatic incident in their past that has changed the course of their life. But so as she's that, reflecting about as she's reflecting about this, she gets a phone call, and it's the APF uh, who's posted outside her sister's apartment, and uh, she's called, said that there's someone that's an intruder, 
and they've found that the place is secure. There's no one inside there with her. She's just kind of freaking out. Implies that this has happened again, but they're, you know, he's using their connections, police officers, to keep this out of the public eye. She goes in to talk to her sister, and they talk about her kind of tenuous mental health and that she's having a hard time keeping it together. Um, but she's very resistant about going into any kind of like treatment program, any kind of hospital. And she promises that she's got this to her, to her sister. Um, couple things here. It, they're implying that she's recently moved here from somewhere else to be closer to her sister, mm-hmm. potentially. And two, she's, you know, obviously struggling with some mental health here. Yeah. And it seems to be, in my opinion, manifesting in a way similar to Rose, where she is seeing people who don't exist or people who are dead, potentially. That's who she saw. She saw someone. Yeah. So she called up the cops hysteric saying there's someone in my house. And when the cops get there, everything is sealed up tight and no one's inside. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, my, my opinion is it's very much like the Travis incident with Rose. So is that telling us that, like, you know, again, is this telling us that actually that's just people, lo- you know, they're, they're kind of losing a grip on reality that, uh, you know, could be we, the only reason because I, I see this woman and I'm like, oh, this is a person with mental illness that's struggling. I see Rose. I'm like, oh, my God, she's talking to a dead person. But the only reason I think mm-hmm. that is because I saw it from Rose's POV. Right. Right. And I'm seeing this obviously disturbed person, you know, after the fact. So it's like, yeah, I wonder what which. Which way are they going to this? Should I take her a little bit more seriously because there's dead people walking around? Or should I assume the dead people walking around are just other people gre- coping with the, their shit? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm leaning toward the latter, but that's my predisposition. That, we'll yeah, see you and I are <laughs> one of us. where I end up on this show eventually. But Yeah, what what was it? The It's the lock versus uh, what's-his-face on Lost, except for... Oh, uh, uh, Jack? Yeah, Jack so versus Locke, except for yeah. just, we're just Jack and Jack. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. We need a lock on the podcast to push back at sometimes, I think. I guess that's what the feed, yeah. that's what feedback's for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then Navarro decides she needs to blow off some steam, so she calls on a guy named Kavik. She steals the seed forcibly and then insults a SpongeBob toothbrush before stealing it. Moon walks out of his apartment yeah. and he's like, don't call me again. You're bad for me. And she's like, we'll see. Uh, is she like, you know, we just had the, the Britney Spears womanizer song or no, it was a womanizer. It's toxic, but toxic. she has a song called mm-hmm. womanizer. Is Navarro a man, manizer? A manizer? Uh, she's just a manizer. I was getting that vibe. I, I was. So, so this is a white guy, right? Um, I didn't know. Uh, is he? As best I can tell, he he has a name that I don't associate, uh, th- that I associate more strongly with like an Inuit sort of culture, but I I get the impression that he's a white dude. Maybe not. I thought he looked native, but this, also this felt... there's, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of room for interpretation when you're talking about, sure. you know, half native, quarter native, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Whether, whether he's native or not, um, she seems to get pleasure from this and not just from the physical stimulation, but mentally mm-hmm. of dominating this guy, yeah. of pinning him down and forcing him to do something he does not want to do. She takes pleasure in that. Yeah. 
Uh, and it could be like, you know, we, th- we said we, we mentioned it being rape in the podcast. It could be that they've got an elaborate non-consensual consent kink where he likes being pinned down and taken by her. But with the context we got, it seemed pretty yikes seem like it to me. And, and yeah. it seems like I he mean, feels bad about the situation. Like he knows it's bad. Yes. He knows this is wrong. He knows he's not his best person with her. And she's kind of bad news in the way. Yeah. Like I said, this is I've. I mean, look, Russ, <laughs> Russ like, wasn't Marty fucking like a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old in Street Detective Season 1? Oh, I don't know yeah. how Alexandra old Daddario, yeah. mm-hmm. Daddario was supposed to be, but clearly cheating on his wife and kids and with, with a younger woman. Yeah, both of those then, people, very bad. Very bad, bad people. Yeah, Unlikable they, they Self-described bad yeah. men. So I don't have any problem with them being, her being a bad woman. Sure. But I think that's what we're, we're getting, we're, we're being that's told That's the story here. they're telling, yeah. That, yeah. that she has some personal motivation to to get to almost get some payback for the yeah. wrongs that she sees in the world I, that, that's yeah. the vibe i was getting from this yeah she feels justified in almost in a vigilante way you know with mm-hmm. the baileys and the the gas tank and the uh the aggressive aggressiveness um potentially non-consensual sex that she's having with this guy yeah and just t- taking a shit too like yeah i'm taking what yeah. are you going to do about it uh, and it, it makes her an unlikable character. I don't think it makes her a bad character. I yeah. still am intrigued by this person. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't like her. <laughs> I don't like really anybody in this show yet. Well, you know, they're all living in a very depressed town in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a moonshiner. I, I don't know if that's apparently uh, if that's going to be vital to the plot. But they they call that out. Um. And then finally, yeah, we Navarro's having this rough uh, calling around Anne's contacts, hits a rough connection, hears a whispered, she's awake, and then suddenly polar bear. Yeah. God, do you see how large this fucking creature? I, I always forget the polar bears are even bigger than grizzly bears. This they're huge. Bear is roughly the size of this SUV. And this isn't like a Ford Edge or a Ford Escape. This is a full blown truck body SUV. And this bear is roughly the same fucking size as it. It's insane. Mm-hmm. It's insane how huge this yeah. bear is. Polar bears are wild creatures, man. Just the way they've adapted to the climate and the size of them and then mm-hmm. their capabilities, it's wild. Yeah. Apparently they're, they're the most deadly bear. The you know, yeah. uh like there's strategies. Like if you're uh if you're if you find a black bear, you be big and loud and you scare him off. A brown bear, you drop dead and pretend to be bed. And what polar bear, you're just fucked. Like that's like yeah, <laughs> there's no if, strategy to deal with it. it yeah. It's because they actually do prey on mm-hmm. on humans if they can. Whereas grizzlies, they don't really want to. It's more of a defensive thing. And black bears are just yeah. kind of pussies. But yeah, white bear will fucking kill you. Mm-hmm. Deadliest of all bear types, phenotypes, <laughs> the white bear. Um. Is there anything else? Like, I, I really like the sound drop of, uh, uh, what's that technology song? The A-E-I-O-U by Jim James. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that this, that starts with this scene and plays into the spiral evidence scene. It's this technology. Um, it yeah. Great. I found all the music to be of a piece, um, tonally and, and just like sonically, I guess. Um, it, it all has a similar a lot vibe. Of- of like Netflix's dark where there's a lot of this like unsettling yeah. choral work to it. Um, and it's, it's it, got a lot of muted instruments. It's not, it's not very flashy. It's just kind of subdued. And, and, and that, that sort of 
feeling gives me the true detective vibe even if it is a more modern sound i would Mm -hmm. say and a more pop kind of sound it still has the elements that i felt like the true detective soundtrack had it's got that really that they came back a couple times this creepy nursery rhyme about i guess magpies how many magpies you see there's an elaborate code about you know one you see for strange i forget exactly all the different things but um yeah. yeah yeah it's very very creepy Uh, can I ask you one final question? There's no rule against it. Why Ferris Bueller? So I think the song specifically has something to do with it, but why choose Ferris Bueller? Um, there are a million, a billion songs to choose from to trigger Liz. Ferris Bueller, at its core, is about a man who gets away with everything because his sister covers for him. And I think that has an interesting tie in here when we're talking about the murder of a woman and the town of Ennis sort of covering for whoever did this thing. Cause there were individuals involved, right? Like the town might yeah, have yeah, killed yeah, her generally, sure. but individuals murdered her. Yes. There are people who actually stab did the stabbing. Yeah. But fundamentally when you boil it down, that's what Ferris Bueller is about. And I think it's interesting. I like that there, better than the other. Time. Cause like I, every every year when we have a puzzle box, there's always early theories that just annoy me. No, no real rhyme or reason. I'm just like that's a fucking stupid theory. But the whole uh-huh. like these scientists are frozen in some kind of swirl and the interpretive dance was some kind of swirl and all that. Like I heard that like the twist and shout is an explicit reference and that when the things everyone's <laughs> twisting and shouting and they're all that was a similar. It's it's, it's all foreshadowing about okay. and I'm like no so like yeah the only thing I came away That's with that reach. is like annoyance at the, the reaching but it could, yeah. I mean it's plausible plausible but I do I do sure. like that a, a woman kind of sin eating for a man in a situation yeah yeah you're listening to the world we deserve we'll be right back back with more of the world we deserve all right for our final segment we'll talk about feedback true detective of baldmove.com is how you send stuff into us for consideration if you got a theory got it something you want to point out uh, something to get off your chest uh, true detective of baldmove.com also if you're wondering what else we're up to because we're always up to stuff uh, you can be followed on any social media at baldmove except for tiktok we're at baldest move there and finally if you'd care to support us and get some stuff for yourself, go to support.baldmove.com. Some of those stuff you can get for yourself is participation in our Instant Talk and Instant Take podcast. Record those live every Sunday night immediately after Two Detective Airs. Me and Jim give our thoughts on the episode, then we turn the mic over to the people in our chat, exclusively made up by our club members. Support.baldmove.com if that sounds cool and you want to get in on that. Uh, First up, uh, Jim, you want to take this one? Yeah, sure. Uh, Daniel J writes in and says, to your question about why True Detective Season 4 has a subtitle, one thing Lopez didn't want to be compared to, at least at first, was to the first three seasons of True Detective. But that's because when she envisioned the project originally, it had nothing to do with the show. Lopez says she initially pitched an idea for a project called Night Country, which she describes as a murder mystery in the ice. And it was HBO who suggested it could be a True Detective instead. An idea, she says, never even crossed her mind. Once two parties agreed, Night Country became True Detective Night Country, 
and Lopez had an unbelievable task of recalling what connected so powerfully with so many people around the world, but at the same time, doing it in your own voice and making it your own. Yeah, I, I thought this was interesting and also kind of tragic because it seems like a lot of the reaction coming from the community is peep, that there's negative and there's an intense kind of negative backlash around this season. Uh, yeah. Is that um, it's got the True Detective label on it. And um, it's unfortunate because like I really value the True Detective subreddit as a place to get theories and information. And like so much of it is like embroiled in this. It's just con continuing culture war stuff where a, a woman has, has, has been given the reins of a, a male-dominated show to tell a female-centric story that's the the antithesis of the f season one that's all about bad men and now it's about bad women. People are losing their minds about it. It's mm -hmm. super annoying, and I just feel bad for her because she didn't. this isn't what she wanted. She wasn't like, oh, let me take True Detective and emasculate it. She had her own story she wanted to tell called Night Country and HBO want to silo it up at this defunct brand that they had and she's getting and are you going to tell them no like I, I'm yeah, just not going to do this show with HBO because they want to relabel it like and she mm, was excited no. because you know mm -hmm. like why wouldn't you be the the, 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 the the bring in even more of that stuff and maybe make connections to it and how fun does that sound but we can't have anything nice and um, well I thought this that is was idiots like on the internet as opposed to yeah. the critics who are universally praising this so true people who don't seem to have an agenda are enjoying this quite a bit next up is Torbjorn who says I'm really excited for True Detective 4 incidentally it'll air a few days before the sun peaks over the horizon where I live here in northern Norway after about 53 days of darkness he's got it even worse although I don't find the Merktid I think is how you pronounce that uh, the Norwegian word for time of darkness too bad myself with gaming movies series friends and Scandinavia Huga, which is their word for coziness. Oh. I'm sure the myth of it will figure heavily in the series. Interesting to see how they'll make it set the mood. I hope to contribute as a listener, at least with some of my experience living in darkness. I, I, I always forget that about places like Iceland and Norway, that they have like a month or two that just fucking dark. They, and yeah, they're so far north. Americans have the concept of seasonal affective disorder. Um, I don't I'm not particularly susceptible to it so I actually kind of think it sounds kind of cool charming to spend mm -hmm. a month or two total darkness and if that especially if that changes your kind of routines and maybe people don't have to work as hard or but like yeah I keep coming back to like imagine spending a, and you're just not going to see the sun for a month not in the kind of like oh yeah. it's been raining for a bunch of days and oh where is even the sun but the sun ain't going to rise over the fucking horizon for at least a month that's wild yeah I it, if I had a bucket list living for a month or two in a place that either has constant sunlight mm. or has no sunlight uh, for a period of time would be on that list. Cause I think it sounds in interesting. I, I don't know if yes. it would be enjoyable. I think I might hate it after that experiment, but yeah, I, I would like to experience it. I too would like to spend a couple years, maybe in a couple years. Now, I don't think my entire life, obviously, I've spent half of it already, but like, yeah, a couple years yeah, living yeah. in a place that has my, my brother's up in uh, Alaska, where I, I think he's like not that far up, but it's like dark for a week and the northern mm -hmm. lights and all that. But yeah, I, I think that's super interesting. All right. Uh, let's see what Martin has to say. 
He says, why are multiple different characters independently receiving intrusive she's awake messages or hallucinations? Independently arising yet shared hallucinations like that are almost conclusive evidence of the supernatural. Until they show us a giant she's awake billboard that everyone in this town drives past every day, or it's the catchphrase of the local radio DJ, you know. Episode one was a route by Team Supernatural. Team Cynic isn't even on the board. Well, I don't know if I agree. As as a representative of Team Cynic, I'm not sure if I agree with the math here, but it's a good point. That I forgot. It's like, it's like I'm waiting for someone to see Travis, another person seeing Travis. But a shared delusion of people saying she's awake in the same period of time physically well, this not culture, connected. Right? I, I talked about Sedna. You have the this mythological rooting of the people up there. Um this this could be something that they're pulling from their childhoods and the stories and the drawings and shit that they saw that their grandmothers made them uh think about as young people. Uh mm. you know, subconscious kind of thing just comes up and she's awake stuff manifests. How would that affect the male researcher at the station though? Like he's not steeped in that culture. Maybe he's been had, reading or maybe about it. maybe he has been, you yeah. Know? Because I think they they have I got the impression that if uh, Colton is that the kid's name that t- put Holden. his hand on Holden Holden yeah it seems it's uh, it seems like a native kid from how brown the hand was huh is that a crass thing to point out I don't know because uh, it's a dark room I the lighting isn't obvious I I couldn't tell you his skin tones like six Pantones darker than Jodie Foster's is all I'm saying. Um, so like okay. I, so I, I'm, I'm guiding that cause like, okay, that's the connection. If she was raising, uh, a native kid with a native dad, um, before, but then, yeah, but that, mm-hmm. I, I would think that was back in her suburban days. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe don't I'm know. being racist. Always a possibility. I come from Southern <laughs> Indiana. Super, yeah, it's super possible. I'm just being racist. True detective of baldmove.com. If you think I am. Um, but yeah, Team Supernatural, that's, that's, a, that's a strong, I'm still still thinking maybe there's something in the groundwater that just evolutionarily suggests that there's a she that's awake, okay? That's just, it just, mm-hmm. just stimulates those Sheena's awake sensors in your brain. We'll see. Uh, next up, Stas says, I think the crumbs have been put on the board to piece together Danvers' backstory. Clearly, Danvers lost her adopted daughter's father in a drunk driving collision. I think she was dating the guy or maybe engaged them and decided to raise his daughter. Danvers had a brief triggering flashback when she got out to check the present day drunk driver and she made it a point to make sure her daughter was psychologically okay in the passenger seat because Danvers could tell any motor vehicle accident was triggering for her as well. I'll bet the twist and shout was playing on the radio when her boyfriend was killed. No one hates the Beatles that much. I agree with all the detective work other than actually saying that she was in a relationship with this man. Um, I think it's just as likely mm. as not, but I, yeah, I am, you're probably I'm leaning right, toward though. that conclusion, but yeah, I will say there's no solid evidence for that yet. Um, because yeah, I could see the daughter saying who's on a cusp of adulthood saying like, yeah, you're my dad, you know, you don't have to do this. Um, this seems to be a show where all the main characters are haunted by something in their past. Danvers suppresses what haunts her or tries to. Rose, on the other hand, literally befriends the specter of her dead husband and uses it for guidance. Navarro uses her specter as motivation, believing it st- she still owes a debt to Annie K until she solves her cold case. Makes me wonder what's ha- haunting P- Pryor and his son. There's no way these two have a past without something terrible in it. Not in a universe shared with Russ Cole. We, we know that Peter's mom, Hank's 
presumed wife. I or I don't we know we know this. We think she's dead. Potentially. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's also the hint that maybe Hank had something to do with the disappearance of Anne or knows yeah. about it. Actively Possibly. covered it up. Yep. It's possible. He flooded his own police department <laughs> to move the records out of the record room. His uh-huh. these in the ensuing water bill controversy caused him to step down as police chief. It's all coming together. Pete, the, the picture's becoming yeah, clearer. I mean, Jim. they've cleaned that. They cleaned the police station up. Get the records back in the records room. Yeah. You got this dude just. Well, how, he flooded home. once. How do you know it won't flood again, Jim? You know? True. Flood prone position, I guess. Uh, Adam writes in and says, you said that a few of the early reviewers mentioned a lot more of uh, a lot of the more supernatural elements this season were up to interpretation as to whether they were actually supernatural or had a logical explanation. My assumption for the logical side is going to be something wrong with the water in town, maybe related to something the scientists dug up at the research station. There was at least one specific mention of the water having gone bad three days ago when Navarro was visiting the dead girl's brother. Uh, I'm curious what y'all's thoughts on the su- how supernatural it will get. I'm hoping it stays vague enough to be interpreted either way. Really hope it's not another Fargo season two alien spaceship situation. I'm with you. That's that's kind of how I feel. I want this to be open to interpretation, um, and I'm hoping they can give us some reason that people would be hearing or thinking or saying she's awake and how that all connects yeah i don't know yet but i'm with you yeah i um as far as how how supernatural things can get i I keep coming back to that uh, the the reference i made in the preview podcast what lies beneath where it's like you know did harrison ford die because the corpse of his ex-wife reanimated and held him underwater until he drowned or when he was down there in the water with Michelle Pfeiffer and he saw his wife's corpse, was he so afraid and so had such a shock reaction that he, you know, he, he got tangled up in a seatbelt or drowned. I, I think that's the kind of like, yeah, I think the movie's POV is something supernatural happened. But if I won to wear my skeptic hat and be like, nah, this was all just an intensely psychological situation and blah, blah, blah. And people, you know, it's 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 dark down there. It's in the water. Who the hell knows what's happened? You could do that, too. Mm-hmm. Anything more than that. And honestly, my memory of like um, tigers are not afraid is that's very much in the eye of the beholder that like if the climax huh. of that movie is supernatural or not, you could you could play some like, oh, it was just this or just that or so like, I, I don't know. I, I think that uh, either way, I think Issa Lopez is well equipped to, to nail that will they won't they supernatural kind of thing. And uh, it's it's definitely a, a flavor of True Detective that I need, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's been there in every single season. So that's all the feedback we have this week. True Detective of BaldMove.com is how you send in your feedback. Again, we're everywhere on social media if you want to find out what else we're doing currently. Um, we're everywhere at Bald Move except for TikTok. We're at Baldest Move. And uh, finally, if you'd like to support us and get access to those instant take, instant talk podcasts, we'd like to hear what you're thinking after each podcast or after each episode of True Detective. Do a whole live show. You can get it for just five bucks a month at support.baldmove.com. Maybe we'll see you this Sunday night. Uh, We'll either see you then or on the instant take podcast. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.